hospital because her husband hit her with a rake and left a straight line of bloody little holes going from her waist to her armpit after she yelled at him, which, Lord knows, she did all the time, once too often. I don't write about how Eben Goodnight is all torn up now about what he did, missing work and worrying, or how Alma liked it so much in the hospital that nobody knows if they'll ever get her to go home or not. Because that is a mystery and I am no detective by a long shot. I am what I am. I know what I know, and I know you've got to give folks something to hang on to, something to keep them going. That is what I have in mind when I say uplift, and that is what God had in mind when he gave us Jesus Christ. My column would not be but a paragraph if the news was all I told, but it isn't. What I tell is what's important like the bulbs coming up, the way the red bud comes out first on the hills in the spring and how pretty it looks, the way the cattails shoot up by the creek, how the mist winds down low on the ridge in the mornings, how my wash all hung out on the line of a Tuesday looks like a regular square dance with those pant legs just flapping and flapping in the wind. I tell how all the things you ever dreamed of all changed in ghostly, will come crowding into your head on a winter night when you sit up late in front of your fire. I even made up these little characters to talk for me, Mr. and Mrs. Cardinal and Princess Pussycat, and often I have them voice my thoughts. Each week I give a little chapter in their lives. Or I might tell what was the message brought in church, or relate an inspirational word from a magazine, book, or TV. I look on the bright side of life. I've had God's gift of writing from the time I was a child. That's what the B stands for in Mrs. Jolene B. Newhouse. Barker, my maiden name. My father was a patient, strong, God-fearing man despite his problems, and it is in his honor that I maintain the B. There was a lot of us children around all the time. It was right up the road here where I grew up. And it would take me a day to tell you what all we got into. But after I learned how to write, that was that. My fingers just naturally curved to a pencil, and I sat down to writing like a ball of fire. They skipped me up one, two grades in school. When I was not but eight, I wrote a poem named God's Garden which was published in the church bulletin of the little Methodist church we went to then on Hunter's Ridge. Oh, Daddy was so proud. He gave me a quarter that Sunday, and then I turned round and gave it straight to God. Put it in the collection plate. Daddy almost cried he was so proud. I wrote another poem in school the next year, telling how life is like a maple tree, and it won a statewide prize. That's me. I grew up smart as a whip, lively and naturally good. Jesus came as easy as breathing did to me. Don't think I'm putting on airs, though. I'm not. I know what I know. I've done my share of sinning, too, of which more later. Anyway, I was smart. It's no telling but what I might have gone on to school like my own children have, and who knows what all else if Mama hadn't run off with a man. 
I don't remember Mama very well, to tell the truth. She was a weak woman, always laying in the bed having a headache. One day, we all came home from school and she was gone. Didn't even bother to make up the bed. Well, that was the end of Mama. None of us ever saw her again, but Daddy told us right before he died that one time he had gotten a postcard from her from Atlanta, Georgia, years and years after that. He showed it to us, all wrinkled and soft from him holding it. Being the oldest, I took over and raised those little ones, three of them, and then I taught school, and then I married Glenn, and we had our own children, four of them, and I have raised them too, and still have Marshall, of course, poor thing. He is the cross I have to bear. And he'll be just like he is now for the rest of his natural life. I was writing my column for the week of March 17, 1976, when the following events occurred. It was a real coincidence, because I had just finished doing the cutest little story named A Red Letter Day for Mr. and Mrs. Cardinal, when the phone rang. It rings all the time, of course. Everybody around here knows my number by heart. It was Mrs. Irene Chalmers. She was all torn up. She said that Mr. Biggers was over at Greenville at the hospital very bad off this time, and that he was asking for me, and would I please try to get over there today as the doctors were not giving him but a 20% chance to make it through the night. Mr. Biggers has always been a fan of mine, and he especially liked Mr. and Mrs. Cardinal. Well, I said, of course I will. I'll get Glenn on the phone right this minute, and you calm down, Mrs. Chalmers. You go fix yourself a Coke. Mrs. Chalmers said she would, and hung up. I knew what was bothering her, of course. It was that given the natural run of things, she would be the next to go. The next one to be over there dying. Without even putting down the receiver, I dialed the beverage store. Bert answered. Good morning, I said. I like to maintain a certain distance with the hired help, although Glenn does not. He will talk to anybody, and any time you go in there, you can find half the old men in the county just sitting around that stove in the winter or outside on those wooden drink boxes in the summer, smoking and drinking drinks, which I am sure they are getting free out of the cooler, although Glenn swears it on the Bible they are not. Anyway, I said, good morning. Can I speak to Glenn? I said. Well, now, Mrs. Newhouse, Bert said in his naturally insolent voice, he is just out of high school and too big for his britches. He's not here right now. He had to go out for a while. Where did he go? I asked. Well, I don't rightly know, Bert said. He said he'd be back after lunch. Thank you very much. There will not be a message. I said sweetly and hung up. I knew where Glenn was. Glenn was over on Caney Creek where his adopted half-sister Margie Kettles lived, having carnal knowledge of her in the trailer. They had been at it for thirty years, and anybody would have thought they'd have wanted out by that time. Oh, I knew all about it. The way it happened in the beginning was that Glenn's father had died of his lungs when Glenn was not but about ten years old, 
and his mother grieved so hard that she went off her head and began taking up with anybody who would go with her. One of the fellows she took up with was a foreign man out of a carnival, the James H. Drew Exposition, a man named Emilio something. He had this curly-headed, dark-skinned little daughter. So Emilio stayed around longer than anybody would have expected, but finally it was clear to all that he never would find any work around here to suit him. The work around here is hard work, all of it. And they say he played a musical instrument. Anyway, in due course, this Emilio just up and vanished, leaving that foreign child. Now that was Margie, of course. But her name wasn't Margie then. It was a long foreign name, which ended up as Margie, and that's how Margie ended up here, in these mountains, where she has been up to no good ever since. Glenn's mother did not last too long after Emilio left, and those children grew up wild. Most of them went to foster homes, and to this day, Glenn does not know where two of his brothers are. The military was what finally saved Glenn. He stayed with the military for nine years, and when he came back to this area, he found me over here teaching school and with something of a nest egg in hand, enabling him to start the beverage store. Glenn says he owes everything to me. This is true. But I can tell you something else. Glenn is a good man. And he has been a good provider all these years. He has not ever spoken to me above a regular tone of voice, nor raised his hand in anger. He has not been tight with the money. He used to hold the girl.